Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. It's September, and this is a very busy month for us as sleep consultants because it's really that big change in the seasons where we've gone from summertime and being a little more relaxed about our schedule, maybe not wanting to worry so much about getting sleep on track because we just want to have the ability to be on the go and not worry about being home for naps and have those late bedtimes, and then all of a sudden, in the fall when, you know, we go back to work and we're done our summer holidays or our kids go back to school or our little ones start daycare, all of a sudden we as parents start to realize, "Uh uh-oh, this maybe isn't sustainable. We probably need to get sleep on track. We need to have some naps in our house. We need to have a proper bedtime. We can't be staying up so late because we have to get up early to get to work and get our kids to school or daycare. So, big influx of clients and calls in the fall, usually where parents are just kind of like, okay, let's tackle sleep. Let's get this on track. So lots of questions about the daycare transition and children dropping their nap because now they're starting junior kindergarten and all those kinds of things. So we'll tackle a little bit of that in today's podcast, but really today is Q&A Tuesday. So I just pulled out kind of the top five questions from the past week and we'll go over those and there'll be everything from newborn stuff to older kiddo stuff, daycare and school transitions so that we can just cover a wide range of things and answer the questions that you might have on your mind or that you can share with a friend because they have a baby of a different age and, you know, just stuff that really we all go through that can help out to get through those different transitions when it comes to sleep. So the first question that I pulled out for today was, what are your thoughts on dream feeds? So clearly this is not about um, daycare transitions or school or older kiddos. This is about infants. And so what are my thoughts on dream feeds? First of all, let me define dream feeds. Dream feed usually refers to a feed that you do while your child is sleeping in the night that they don't wake up for. And the reason that some parents will do a dream feed is to try to elongate the amount of time that their child stays asleep before they wake up hungry. So a lot of parents will do a dream feed around like 10, 10.30, maybe 11 p.m. before the parents go to bed before the child has woken up in the night so that if the issue with their child waking up at night is related to hunger, you solve that issue before you even go to bed. You go in while they're still in their sleep, you give them the breast or you give them the bottle, fill them up, and then you go to sleep and hopefully then your child sleeps for a longer period of time overnight while you get some rest as well. Dream feeds work great for some families. So like anything else when it comes to sleep, I'm going to say this do what works for you and your family until or unless it doesn't work anymore. That's the overarching rule with sleep for me. That's the overarching rule with parenting for me. However, I will say this about my thoughts on the dream feed. I don't generally recommend a dream feed. There are some exceptional circumstances where I do recommend it because perhaps a doctor or pediatrician has advised that a child must still be fed overnight because their caloric intake during the day isn't yet where we need it to be, or there are weight issues that we are monitoring, the the child isn't on a proper growth curve yet, and we have to keep an overnight feed. 
So we implement maybe a dream feed in a case like that. But if a child is growing well, if a child is you know, over four months or so and is growing well, there are no weight concerns, then I don't generally recommend a dream feed. I might still recommend an overnight feed if the child wakes up. If a child is only, say, 14, 15 weeks old and we're starting sleep coaching and a family is not feeling very on board with the idea of removing the overnight feeds, then we might keep an overnight feed if the child wakes up for it at a certain time. But I wouldn't necessarily do a dream feed. And that's because the dream feed kind of keeps us from ever knowing when your child can go through the night without a feed. Because your child isn't waking up asking for the feed. With a dream feed, you are going in and giving it to them in their sleep without them even knowing it happened, without them waking up asking for it. So that's why if I am going to keep an overnight feed with a baby because of their age or their weight, because we need to keep an overnight feed, we keep it because the baby has woken up for it at a certain time of the night. We don't go in and feed the baby without them even asking for it, because then when do we ever know when to stop? And that's the big issue with the dream feed. And that is why I generally don't recommend a dream feed per se, because you never know when to stop doing it because you don't give your child the chance to sleep through the night. You don't give your child the chance to wake up and tell you when he's hungry versus just feeding him because you feel like, you know, he needs to be fed. And then all of a sudden you have a six, seven, eight month old, and maybe he would sleep through the night, but we still don't know because we're still doing this dream feed. And we never know when to stop it. We don't know when to stop doing the dream feed because the child was never asking for it. We were just offering it. So how do we decide when to stop? Because we don't know when the child is ready to sleep through the night. So that's why it's preferable to either wait until you're confident your child can just go the night without those calories and sleep through the night without any feeds and do some sleep coaching then. Or if you are at a point where you feel it's necessary to keep an overnight feed, we keep it and do it strategically if your baby wakes up and asks for it, but we don't do a dream feed and feed them in their sleep per se. You also have to be careful with a dream feed if you're doing it too late in the night because feeding your child past about 4 or 5 a.m. can really throw off their daytime nutrition. So if that's when the dream feed is happening, it can really mean that when your child wakes up for the day around 6.30, 7, 7.30 in the morning, they're not ready to have a nice big proper feed because they just had that dream feed an hour or two ago. So you have to be careful about when you do the dream feed if you are going to do one. But in answer to the question, what are my thoughts on it? Generally, I don't recommend it, I recommend either we wait until we can go through the night without any feeds, or if we're keeping one feed overnight, we do it because baby has woken up for it and we are confident that baby is still hungry for an overnight feed. The next question on my list here today is, how do I keep my baby from falling asleep nursing if the goal is to put her in the crib awake? So this parent asked, if the goal is to put her in the crib awake. And this parent would have asked that because she follows me on Instagram and she hears me very frequently talk about putting your baby down awake rather than getting them drowsy or putting them to sleep in your arms or on a feed first. And that is because if your goal is to achieve more independent sleep for your little one so they can start to get through sleep cycles on their own, so they can start to have longer stretches of sleep at night, so they can start to have longer naps, we need to be putting them in the crib awake rather than drowsy or asleep so that they are learning how to go from awake to asleep independently. That's why this mom, I would assume, asked this question in this way. 
But mom is saying, I'm, I want to do this. That is my goal. I want to keep my baby awake on the feed so I can put her in the crib awake and teach her these independent sleep habits. But she keeps falling asleep on the breast. How do I keep my baby from falling asleep nursing? I want to put her down awake. The answer might sound really simple, but it really is just this. You just got to watch her like a hawk and really work on keeping her awake. Some of the things that I recommend to my families while you're watching your baby, while she's having that feed, and this is whether we're talking about the breast or the bottle, you you know can tickle their toes or tickle their body a little bit while they're feeding to keep them awake. If you start to see those eyelids look heavy, you can stop the feed and sit your baby up for a nice burp and then put them back on the feed again if you see them getting drowsy. You can put a cool washcloth on their cheeks and their forehead if they start to look a little drowsy to try to keep them awake on the feed. So really do what you can. You can even get your partner to like squeak Sophie the giraffe over their face while they're feeding if that's going to keep them awake. The great thing about keeping your baby awake on the feed is not just about sleep coaching. It's also about getting those proper calories into them before they go down for the night. So a baby who is always very quickly falling asleep on the breast or bottle at bedtime isn't going to get as full of a feed as a baby who stays awake on the feed. They're going to just stop sucking really. They're not going to be consuming much if they're falling asleep necessarily. So that's another great bonus of keeping your baby awake on the feed and doing those things. The tickling of the toes, the cool washcloth on the forehead, squeaking Sophie the giraffe over their face. Making sure they stay awake will not only help you out with putting them in their crib awake and starting those independent sleep skills, but will also ensure your child gets a better feed at bedtime. Next question is this, how do you tackle sleep training for kids with medical issues that prevent cry it out? So let me say a couple of things about that. The first thing I always have to do when I hear someone use the term cry it out is define it because there are pretty much always going to be tears involved in sleep coaching. Let me just say that I am always nothing but completely upfront and honest with my clients or my potential clients about that fact. We are not going to go from rocking to sleep, feeding to sleep, replacing a pacifier 20 times before your child goes to sleep to putting your child in a crib awake with no sleep props. We're not going to do that without any tears. It's going to be new for your child. They're going to be frustrated. There are going to be tears involved in any sleep coaching approach. That's only realistic. However, it doesn't need to be cry it out. Cry it out in its traditional sense means you would put your baby in a crib awake, walk away, close the door and not return at any point until they go to sleep at some point. And that is not our approach at the Happy Sleep Company. Your baby needs to be able to hear your voice and feel your touch and have a hug if they need a hug. It's like anything else that your baby's going to learn in their life. You're never going to leave them alone in a dark room without any support for huge extended periods of time while they are learning to walk or crawl. You know, you're going to be there by their side. You're going to let them hear your voice. You're going to let them feel your touch. You're going to give them a hug if they're frustrated. And you can do all of that and be successful with sleep coaching. So this question was about sleep training for kids with medical issues where your doctor says, you can't do cry it out. You can't allow your child to cry for extended periods of time because of X, Y, or Z medical issue that they have. And so what I would say to that is really talk to your medical professional about that. Talk to your healthcare provider about that and what they mean. And you define cry it out. So if your healthcare provider says that to you, you know, you could say, well, I need to do some sleep coaching. My child needs more sleep. I need more sleep. I need him to sleep more independently. And I'm going to take an approach where I 
sit by him the whole time until he falls asleep. And he can hear that I'm there. He can feel that I'm there. He will have a hug if he needs a hug. He might be crying for a lot of that time because he is frustrated and he's used to me rocking him to sleep, but I will still be there for him. What if I take that kind of approach? Do you feel that that is okay based on my child's medical issue? If your doctor says, yeah, that sounds great. Like that's not cry it out. You could go for something like that. He'll have sufficient support during that. Then that's great. But if the answer is no, he cannot cry for any kind of period, even five or 10 minutes without the crying stopping, then the crying needs to stop because of whatever that medical issue is, then that's a different story. And I would suggest that you probably need to hold off on sleep coaching until that medical issue is more resolved. Because again, that's where you need to be just honest with yourself and realistic about sleep coaching that even if you're right there by your child's side, if they're learning something vastly new that they've never done before, they're going to be upset. They are going to be reassured by the fact that they haven't been left alone. And they are going to know that a parent who loves them and who they trust is right there beside them. But they're still going to be upset about it. And there may be long periods of crying while your child is learning. There won't be long periods of unsupported crying, but there still could be long periods of crying. So to this parent who asked that, if your child has a medical issue where it really is not okay for them to cry for even a few minutes without you making the crying stop because of whatever their medical issue is, then that is something that you may have to resolve in a different way and just sort of wait until you have resolved that medical issue with your healthcare team, with age. A lot of medical issues with our little ones resolve with age, depending on what it is. So really a good conversation to have with your healthcare provider based on all of that. Next question is about an older kiddo. And this parent asked, is there a maximum amount of day sleep for a two and a half year old? It's of course child specific because in any situation, no one child is exactly the same as the next. But in general, I would say that a lot of two and a half year olds start to have issues with bedtime if they have too long of a daytime nap. So too long might be like two and a half, three hours. If an 18, 19, 20 month old has a two and a half to three hour nap, I love that. And that child can still go down to sleep no problem at night. That's not too much daytime sleep for a one and a half year old or even a two year old. But as we approach two and a half to three years of age, if a child is still having that really long two and a half, three hour nap, it's often going to negatively affect their bedtime. So if your child is two and a half and still having a three hour nap and still going to bed no problem at seven, seven thirty and sleeping through the night, then I wouldn't fix what's not broken. I would just stick with what you're doing because it sounds like it's working. But if your child is two and a half to three years of age, still having their nap and the nap is still quite long and you're finding that they are now starting to resist their bedtime, even if you've pushed their bedtime to say 7, 8 o'clock, they're taking a very long time to fall asleep at bedtime, like an hour to fall asleep every night. They're having night wake-ups that they didn't used to have. They're having early morning wake-ups that they didn't used to have. That is a pretty good sign that their daytime sleep is too much and it's taking away from the sleep pressure they need for the night. So that's the point where if we're two and a half to three and we're still having that long nap and you can clearly see it's inhibiting your child's nighttime sleep, I would reduce that daytime nap to about an hour and a half. So no more than an hour and a half for a two and a half year old. And then if you still see troubles with bedtime, you may even reduce it to an hour. But I would start with reducing the daytime nap to an hour and a half at that age. And the last question I'll touch on today is this, how to cope with new daycare schedules. Do we follow the old routine at home or do we follow suit with what daycare does? 
usually I will say follow what daycare does because most daycares that I see with the families that I work with are doing a great job with having a nap time at a very age appropriate time. So for younger toddlers, like 18 months to two years, I would say a very appropriate time is around noon, around 12 o'clock, right in the middle of the day. Some children can handle a slightly later nap time, especially as they get closer to two and a half to three years of age. They can handle more like 12, 30, 1 o'clock. So if your daycare is doing that, then I would just stick with that at home. If, however, your daycare happens to do a wildly different nap than you would have done at home, like if a daycare is not putting your child down until 1, 30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon for their one nap that day, that is pretty late and they're probably pretty overtired. I would do it differently on weekends when your child is at home, I would do a nap closer to 12, 1230 if your daycare is doing something wildly different than that during the week. At daycare, your child is really stimulated and very distracted by the other children and it's often easier for daycare to get your child to a later nap time during the week because of all those distractions without them having a pretty major meltdown. At home on the weekends, it's a lot harder for us to distract our little ones as they start to get overtired and closer to the middle of the day when it's just us and our kiddos. You know, they start to have those bigger meltdowns as they get tired and it's really tough to get them to that very late nap if that's what your daycare is doing. So on the weekends, I would stick with an earlier nap of more like 12, 1230, even if your daycare is doing something really different than that. But in general, if you feel like your daycare's nap schedule is pretty good, I would stick pretty close to it, like within 15 minutes or so on the weekends of what your daycare normally does during the week. So I hope that was helpful. We went everywhere from dream feeds to daycare, from newborns to older kiddos. So hopefully that answered those questions from those parents and also questions that you might have had, even if you didn't ask one this week, but just something that was on your mind that we touched on there. Don't hesitate to DM me on Instagram or email us at info at thehappysleepcompany.com. You can go on the website and fill out a form for a free 20-minute phone consultation if you have some burning questions about your little one's sleep. And I can feature them on the podcast too. So always feel free to reach out and send those questions in. And I can include them every other week on Q&A Tuesday. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.